You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Pray and we'll get started. Father, again, thankful for your word, uh, uh, thankful for this uh, kind of new topic for us. Uh, pray, Lord, that it would be handled carefully. There's, there's a lot in here that isn't, uh, you know, that I, that I don't want to, I don't want to express any certainty that I don't have about, uh, about this material. So, uh, Lord, I just pray that you'd uh, cause me to be careful with the handling of it and cause your people here to, to, to search your word and, uh, and see what things are true. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, just a review of last time we finished up. Uh, really, the kind of main topic of elders last week with First Peter 5, which was kind of a passage on encouragement toward elders. And I want to just take today and maybe a little bit of next week on the uh, role and function of deacons, New Testament deacons. So I'm going to look at a couple of passages hopefully today. I want to show you this book. When we started Elders, I showed you the other book by Strzok which I can't remember the name, Biblical Eldership. This is the New Testament Deacon. Um, it's, again, kind of a very comprehensive look at the, the passages in Scripture that have to do with deacons and their roles. And we'll um, spend most of our time on next time, which is women and deacons in First Timothy 3.11, who are the women. Uh, he talks uh, at length about that in here. So if you want more details, all done. Alexander Strzok, New Testament Deacon. And I, I have a copy I'd lend you, or I think Jim has one, Jess has one, if you want to look at that. Uh, okay, so we're going to start with Acts 6, but before I start in that, you can turn there, but before I start in that, uh, I want to address a couple of issues when you are looking at deacons, the, the Bible passages on deacons. There's a, a difficulty with the word deacon to start out, and it's the same difficulty that we had with the word pastor. You remember what that difficulty was? What's difficult about a study of the word pastor? All right. That's the... They both go together. What, what, what did you say, Debbie? She said, you don't want to use it as a title to glorify men. It's not. It's found one time, right? The English word pastor is found one time, and it's found in that one place to be used as a title for an office, which then can lead you into difficulties if you use that as a title for men. Okay, that's what we talked about. It, it, it's a Greek word that is found very often. The word for pastor is found very often in the New Testament, but it's translated pastor only once, and that's Ephesians 4.11. Okay, same with the word that's transliterated Deacon. It's actually not a translation. It's transliteration of a Greek word, diakonos. It's found... Well, you guys, uh, you have concordances in the back of your Bible. If you have a good concordance, you can flip back there and see where deacon is located, where, where you find the word deacon in your Bibles. If you flip back there real quick. Because we have different translations. Hmm? It's found in Philippians 1.1. Yep, that's one that we looked at. Overseers and deacons. It's found in one other book, First Timothy. And how many verses in First Timothy does it say in your concordance that's in your Bible? One verse, three twelve, in the King James. Three eight, some other. Three ten. And if you have a New American Standard, three thirteen. Deacons, actually, I think it's three thirteen. It's only, depending on your translation, one, two, three, four, five times is it is it used. But the word, diakonos, is in your Bible either in a verb or a noun form about a hundred times. So here we have the same issue. The word is not translated the same every time. Because sometimes it refers to an office, 
1 Timothy and Philippians 1. Other times, it just means servant or minister. And so it's translated servant or minister all those other times. And so the question is why? And again, it's the same answer for why pastor, why the word pastor is in your Bible only once. It's because here in 1 Timothy and in Philippians, Holy Spirit is referring to an office. And so the translators picking up on that, we want to use the word for the office, generally recognized words for the office, pastor and deacon. Okay? Does that make sense? The word actually isn't in, uh, just for curiosity, it's actually not in 1 Timothy 3.13. There's a verb form there, but the noun isn't there. Um, okay. <clears throat> Again, remembering that the, uh, the Holy Spirit, as Dorothy said, the, Ho- the Holy Spirit isn't interested in deciding titles to men. Okay? So all of these words, whether it's shepherd, overseer, uh, elder, or here, deacon, servant, they're descriptive words. They're not intended to be titles that we're supposed to use honorifics. They are descriptive words that describe the role and function of the men that hold that office. Okay? So we've got to be careful about that. Same, same with deacons as with elders. Now, one good way to understand what the deacon's role is would be go all through your entire New Testament, look at all the, the times that the, the uh, diakonos or the verb forms of that are used, and do a study of that. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> if you want to do that, that's something that would be really good for you to do. I want to go teach the junior high kids at some point in my life before I die. So I, so I won't do that. But it, it, it is kind of interesting to go through and see because there's a lot of them. And it's kind of a neat word study. Um, but instead of doing that, I want to go to Acts 6. I'm going to assert some things about this passage. Um, and you'll see what I mean. I'll be careful about, about how we use this passage. Acts 6, we'll read verses 1 through 7. And you remember when Jim was going through Acts, we talked a lot about the book of Acts being transitional. We're going from Old Testament into the Age of Grace in this period of Acts. And one transition you see is from apostles leading the church to elder leadership. So in Acts 6... You, have, you don't have elders yet, remember. You have apostles. Okay? And so, keep this in mind as we go through it. That's one transition here. But here in the beginning of Acts, apostles are serving the roles that are later assigned to elders. Okay? Okay. Acts 6, 1 through 7. Now, at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who we are put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Bacchorus, maybe that's how you say that, Nicanor, I don't know, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. And I'll apologize to those men for butchering their names when I see them. All right. So the first question, maybe we'll make this the second question. The first question, which was the second question, but is now the first question. What are the apostles doing here? They have a certain role that they want to fill. And what is their role? They say it very clearly here. What is the role they want to protect for themselves? What's that? Yeah. Disciple the people, share the word of God. They said it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. And they weren't saying this. You want to be real clear here. They're not saying... You know, serving tables, that's for us. <laughs> we don't want to do that. That's below us. And that's kind of a dumb thing that, you know, we're not going to do that. What they're doing here is very clearly recognizing the necessity that they do that. We have to successfully do this ministry that's causing this problem, this serving tables. So how are we going to get that done? It's not right for us to do that because the role we've been assigned is to share the Word of God. 
So we've got to figure this out. It's not a matter of, hey, you know, you guys go figure this out. This isn't worth our time. It is the shepherding role that we've spent all this time talking about. This is the role that the apostles want to protect for themselves in chapter 6 of Acts. They want to be clear that this is our role, and if we start pursuing other roles, we will fail in our primary role, the function that's been assigned to us by the Holy Spirit. They don't want to do that. So they're going to protect the role that they have and assign this important function to men who can do a better job of it. That's what they're looking for. It's defined, uh, again, in verse 2, it's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. And in verses 3 and 4, Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men a good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Okay? All right. So we're talking about elders again. We weren't supposed to do that today. We're supposed to talk about deacons. So let's do that instead. But we got to understand. We got to understand the different roles. This is this is why these men were chosen is to serve this role because the apostles were not to. They had other things that they had to do. Um, okay. There's a conflict in the church. What's the conflict over? Yes. Which widows were being overlooked? The, well, the the Hellenistic Jews, it says, were being overlooked. Well, what are Hellenistic Jews? Jew- the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews, it doesn't say that in yours? No. The, however, it says these were people who had come to Jerusalem out of a dispersion. They were not native to Jerusalem. They'd come back, and maybe upon their conversion they had stayed, but they're culturally somewhat different. So there's kind of a clear distinction between, you know, hey, we're the locals here, and these are the outsiders. Now, we're all part of the church here, uh, but there, there are maybe some accusations of bias against us. You can see how this can be pretty important, right? When you see a church split coming, and this just isn't any old church split, because this isn't any old church. This is basically the church. This is it. This is the church in Jerusalem. Thousands of believers is basically it. So we want to make sure we don't do anything stupid here and, and, and cause a problem. Right, so that's the problem. So you can see that we need some men to handle this that can do it in a tactful way. Right, you don't want somebody just going in there and breaking down doors and telling people this is the way it's going to be. It has to be handled sensitively, right? So that's what they're looking for. Now, before I go too far, does this passage say anything about deacons? You see, so they assigned these men to be the first deacons? Does it say that? It talks about some qualification of these men, but it doesn't say that they're deacons. Right. So there's, there's kind of two schools of thought. And Dave says deacons are servants and they're servants. So there's really two schools of thought. The, the first is that this is somewhat normative for us. This, this is how the first deacons were in fact selected. Luke doesn't call them deacons because they didn't call them deacons then. That was given later. There were no elders here either, remember? That, that happened later. So Luke doesn't want to go back here and say the deacons, these were deacons, because that would be anachronistic. They didn't call them deacons. So he doesn't want to call them deacons either. But he clearly defines the necessity of deacons here, doesn't he? He defines the role of deacons. So this may be normative for us in the sense of, hey, this is how we chose the first deacons. I'm not going to call them deacons, but you can understand that. And then I'm going to move on with the rest of that. That's one way of looking at it. Others say, well, it it doesn't establish the office of deacon. Um, That happened later. These are just the seven. Um, People talk about the fact that Stephen seems to be something of a preacher. Pretty effective preacher. So effective that he actually got killed, which is pretty effective preaching. Um, But the fact that somebody's a deacon doesn't imply that they're not able to be a a preacher, do the things that Stephen did or that Philip did. So I would say, whether we want to call this, what do you want to say, this is deacons or not? 
it doesn't matter. But there is a lot we can learn about the necessity of deacons and the function of deacons from Acts 6. Okay? So that's what we're going to do. Does that make sense? Okay. So there's a little bit of controversy, too, about uh, uh, the what is being done here when we talk about served tables. If you look at 6.1 and 6.2, now, at the time while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. Serving there is diakonia. So, although it doesn't, the noun deacons isn't there, the verb for what they do, their service is there. And then in verse 2, uh, it says, So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve diakoneo tables. So what is being done here with serving tables? It talks about the distribution of food. There are some that believe that the serving tables includes not only food but money. It's the distribution of money. If you turn back a little bit to Acts chapter 4, and remember what's going on in Acts 4, verses 32 through 35. Is in the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace is upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales, and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. So the apostles were doing this distribution of money. And so it would seem reasonable that this was included in the work of the seven. Again, you see why they need men of some good reputation and who are sensitive. Okay. So let's look at the qualifications of the seven. And again, I'm asserting here that we can learn something about qualifications of deacons from the qualifications of the seven because they serve the same role. Okay. First of all, in verse three, therefore, brethren, select from among you. First of all, select from among you. This is how they were to be chosen. They were to be selected from among them. And that word is often, the word for select is often translated visit or concern with. It has the idea of going in and finding out how somebody is. Finding out how they're doing. Okay? So there's to go in among the congregation. The congregation is to kind of go and figure things out and see how this person acts and how that person acts. And from that, kind of bring to the apostles uh, some men. And so that's what they did. They were to be, first of all, therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men. They were to be men. Now, this is going to be important next week. When the apostles chose people to serve this function, they chose men. And we'll we'll talk about next week, that's that's the way it goes. God has determined that leadership is to be male. And we'll see why. Uh, a little bit of that next week. It also says, therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men. The men had to come from among the congregation. They didn't want hirelings to do this job. Right? These men would have to know the people they were serving, be sensitive to them, understand them. It wasn't something that you just wanted to bring somebody in to do. And also, if you brought in a hireling, you wouldn't know that they are of good reputation. Select men from among you, select from among you seven men of good reputation. Okay. So again, they're being entrusted to handle money and to understand people's needs, to hear from them what their needs are. They have to be of good reputation. It also says they have to be full of the Spirit, fully yielded to the control of the Spirit. So for us, it would be that they're in complete obedience to the, the whole, what the Holy Spirit tells us through the Word of God. They can't be harboring some doubts about the Word of God. Uh, full of wisdom. I have to have a degree of biblical knowledge and common sense in a role like this. So those are the kind of men that he was looking for. We're, we're going to go to First Timothy here in a second, and you'll see the qualifications in more detail. But that's what they were looking at. Let me ask you one question about this that comes up. Why seven? It's the perfect number. <laughs> Why not 40? You know, there's, there's certain numbers that is what we like in modern Christianity, right? The 40 days of this and the 68 hours. I don't know what the, all the numbers are. But why seven? Yeah, it is the, it's the perfect number. Do you think that's why they did it? Probably, right? 
I mean, I think, doesn't that make sense? The apostles, okay, well, we've got 7,000 people, or however many they had. Let's see, each guy can probably handle this many. He's going to have some help. I don't know. I actually wrote that down. What reads day of the week? Yeah, there's some guy man in the post every day. Right? Okay, what do you need? Yeah, I got, I got some ham. I guess no. I guess they probably wouldn't have ham. I got, I got some. Uh, what would they have? Turkey. They wouldn't have turkey. Quail. I have some quail. Yeah, you know the man in the store. Hey, I don't know. All right, but what the point I want to make is that there's nothing apparently normative about that. Uh, there are churches that have seven deacons. If we're going to have a deacon, we'll have seven of them, because Bob says they chose seven. Right? Well, I think that's kind of going beyond what is written. Yeah, they they did choose seven. But there's no direction for us about that. There is direction for us related to these same sorts of qualifications. Right? Yes, sir. It's just it's some practical wisdom. Didn't recognize you. Yeah, I, I don't know what the what the right number is or how how you decide how many people you know. Will, I don't know how you do that. Deacons kind of function as a unit. We don't really assign we don't really assign people to, to deacons or it's if there's a need you know whoever can fill it. And it does, but there is some wisdom in having more deacons the more the more people you have. Hi, oh. Brandon. Um, okay, First Timothy three. Now we'll look at the qualifications of deacons in some in some detail, and you'll see we can go pretty fast through these because we've seen a lot of them before. First Timothy three. So if you just kind of see from Acts. The first selection, and then we'll see some uh, real clear direction from Paul in First Timothy three, verses eight through thirteen today. And this is, is going to be kind of familiar. It's very similar to the discussion of elders. There's going to be one glaring difference that you'll see. First uh, Timothy chapter three, verses eight through thirteen. Deacons likewise must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their own households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Okay, amazing passage again. Verse 8. It says, deacons, likewise. It's a little bit harder for me to prove that Scripture calls for a plurality of deacons. But the only time it talks about deacons, it talks about them in, as being plural in the church. Um, seven, and deacons, and in Philippians 1, deacons at the church in Philippi. But at the same time, for some reason, it's much easier to convince people that we should have more than one deacon. Nobody's out there saying, no, really, you should just have one deacon and he should be in charge of the deacon ministry. And nobody does that. A lot of churches do it with pastors, don't they? What's the difference? Why are we out there asserting that there ought to be a senior deacon? <laughs> the deacons aren't in charge as much as elders are. Um, so you're both getting somebody has to lead. I think you're getting it at why, right? We look, as Americans especially, we look for the one guy who's the leader. We want the president, right? We're not interested in the rule by committee, right? 
Well, neither is neither is the Bible. The Bible's interested and in ruled by God through His Word. And he has underlings that are just here to make sure that the that the word happens. The things that he directs us to do that they happen. Right? So we have to remember that no human is in charge of any church, any Christian church. Church belongs to God. So that's why plurality works. Yeah. Is it the whole idea of kingdom Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's. Yeah, yeah. Right. We, as Christians, we understand that. Yeah, and and again, it, you know, we have a president. Fine, you know, that's other countries have a prime minister. That, that's not. There's no biblical pattern for what. Secular government, I'll look like. But in the church, we understand that God is the head of the church. God is the king of the church. And anybody who serves in the church serves him. So, a plurality of elders, that's the way God has ordained it and the way it ought to be. Also, plurality of deacons. Now, when you think about deacons, maybe even more so than elders, it's, it's important to have a plurality. And if you think about it for a second, what are deacons doing? Yeah, well, they're they're doing a lot. They're serving in very personal ways, right? They they're finding out about needs that somebody has. You know, hey, I lost my job and I can't afford it, or my roof is leaking and I can't. Personal stuff that you you got to be careful. You have to have some discretion in. They're handling money. They have expenses. So for just one guy to be doing that, that's you could easily open yourself up to accusation. So plurality is important. But I don't think I have to convince uh, people too much about that. Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity. Uh, other translations say worthy of respect or grave. Okay. You like that one? <laughs> I like that one. They must be dignified. Right? You don't want a silly guy doing this stuff. Right? Right. Yeah, sorry, Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> You don't want a guy that's silly all the time. How's that? <laughs> you have to have somebody who can, you know, kind of rise to the situation, be serious when you need to be serious. And, you know, you've got a needy person coming. You can't be flippant. You have to be serious. You have to be dignified, right? respectful, serious. That's, interestingly enough, not a qualification specifically for elders. They're very similar ones, but not that exact one. I don't know what that means, but um, must be men of dignity, not double tongued. Double tongued, a great word. Yes, Thomas, but must stop. I don't, I don't see it that way necessarily. I think he's saying, okay, now I've told you about elders and their qualifications. Deacons also have some qualifications, and here they are. But it doesn't say likewise either. And remember, right? Well, yeah, the English translation says likewise. But the Holy Spirit didn't say likewise. So it, it really is just kind of introducing another subject in, in a parallel way. So we, we say likewise. I, I mean, it's a Greek word. It's not the word likewise. So we can't put too much. Sometimes we put too much into our English word and say, well, it says this. Of course, there's there's probably four translations here, with different English words potentially. So the point I'm making is, what this really is doing, and it's a word that I've had to look at. I don't remember what the Greek word is because it's really important in verse 11. All right? People use that to say, well, what likewise means there, it must also mean in verse 8. And I think we can go really too far with, say, with taking this one word likewise and putting a lot of pivot on that. So what it is doing is introducing a little bit of a change in topic. He's saying, okay, I told you about elders. Now, likewise, I'm going to tell you about deacons. And here's deacons. So they must be men of dignity, not double-tongued. You're going to like this one. Well, maybe some of you are going to like this one. I don't know. Well, you're all, are you, you might like Die logos. To die, right? Logos, worded, or tongue. Two-tongued is literally what it means. 
Double-tongued. There's some question, because I think it only appears here in the, in the New Testament. There's some question about exactly what does it mean. It could mean that it's somebody that talks so much they need two tongues. That could be what it means. Somebody that's just a blah, 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 blabbermouth, right? Well, you don't want that, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's the other idea. You talk out of both sides of your mouth, like we, we say. Yeah, this is like I would go to Doug and tell him one thing, and then I would go over to Anna and I'd tell her something different than what I told Doug. You know, trying to keep everybody happy or, you know, make him think I'm something I'm not. Uh, that could be the idea. I don't really know. It means two tongued. Either way, you don't want that kind of guy as a deacon, right? You want somebody who's honest, forthright, and can. Control his tongue. Isn't blabbing about things all over the place. Uh, Okay. Addicted to much wine, we've talked about. That is identical to uh, verse 3 of chapter 3. Applied to elders. So here's here's kind of why you see I don't take that likewise. Some of these qualifications are actually repeated, so it seems to be very clear delineation of a separate list. Not fond of sordid gain. Again, identical to the notion that we uh, looked at with the elders in verse 3 and also in Titus 1.7, the same qualification. But holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, that's a little different. Holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. A deacon has to hold to the revealed truths of the scripture with a clear conscience that he is he's obedient to those things. It can't be somebody that's kind of iffy on Scripture, has their doubts about this, has their doubts about that. That's not not who you want. Somebody thinks, well, you know, I'm sinning in this way, or I'm doing this, and I, the Bible says this, but I'm not really sure that's sin. And you don't want anybody, you want somebody who's committed to the Word of God with a clear conscience. Okay? As a deacon. It implies a certain understanding of the Word of God, right? A deacon is not, you know, we... we a lot of times we really underestimate the value of deacons and we don't esteem them highly enough. Deacons are not just people who mow lawns. Okay? They have to have a certain understanding of the Word of God. They have to hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Okay? They're servant leaders. These qualifications imply that they are servant leaders. They're not just servants. All right? They have to have some biblical wisdom in the role that they serve. Uh, keep looking. These men must also be must also first be tested. And we talked about that with respect to elders. The same testing applies to deacons. They're not just interviewed. You allow them to serve in the church and you see if they're deacons. And if they're deacons, you recognize them as such. Okay? That's what we did recently with men that have served in the role of deacons. We simply recognize them as having done that. These men must also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, if they are beyond reproach. Again, identical to the umbrella term for qualifications of elders. Verse 11, skip. (laughs) We are going to skip it just for this week because it deserves its own time. So we're going to spend an hour on it. So I just want to kind of finish up this passage and we'll come back and spend full time on verse 11. Um, So I don't want to... If I start saying anything about that, I'm going to spend the whole rest of the time on that one. Uh, down to verse 12. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife. Identical to our discussion with elders. Whatever it means for elders, it also means that for deacons. And we talked about that meaning above reproach, at least meaning above reproach in their marital sexual lives. Good managers of their children, their own households. Again, the same idea. They have to manage their own household well. Yep. Yeah, that part is there, but the the other part is not. That's from Titus, where it says believing children. 
Yeah, right. Are we gambling as a body and as pastors that hopefully you guys and children are going to be believers until all this time we're waiting on your children to get to a certain age and then if they're not believers they're going to step down and they never will be qualified? No. Okay. No. We are qualified. Right? We are qualified. There may come a time when we are not, but it doesn't mean we never were. And be clear about that. I, I, I do think that it means that, that they are children who believe. And I think it, it does re- meaning older children. Um, so you can become disqualified. Just as if my wife goes off the, the deep end, which she's not, by the way. Um, I become disqualified. But no, that wouldn't imply that I'm disqualified. You know, I've been disqualified the whole time, that we were gambling on whether or not I was qualified or Jim was qualified. Okay, so if it can say in Timothy, and on the issue of managing their own household well, and yes. speaking of the pastor there, and then the same thing is being spoken of with the deacon, are we going to put that together with Titus? Nope. Nope. Uh, Titus, if you want to flip over Titus 1, uh, what is it? Titus 1, 8. Uh, where is it? Uh, Titus one six. This is specifically directed to elders. Titus one six. If any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife. Okay, all applies to deacons as well. Having children who believe, that does not apply to deacons. It, that is not repeated in the qualifications for deacons. So he never a letter to Timothy about elders. I know about yeah. elders, but he doesn't say that. No, right. So Timothy goes off to say, well, I'm not going to go well. But I told you, know, nothing to do with whether they're a believer or not. He just says, I'm saying that he says to the people. That's, that's exactly what's in the scripture, yes. So we're going to take one step, or it's not. Yeah, if we can take one scripture, and we can document it, we better be aware. You never want to take one scripture that opposes any other scripture and make a doctrine out that there's no opposition here in the scripture. I, I don't. I don't believe. I don't see that there is. Now, think about it for a second. Why would that? There's a couple of qualifications that are that are for elders that are not for deacons. That's one of them. And by the way, if if you want to hold to it, means that they have faithful children. I'm not, I don't. That's fine. Um, it just doesn't seem to say that. It's you know, it's no reason to. It's not heresy. It's, it's fine. Um, but. If we say that that is having believing children, that is not applied to deacons. What other qualification for elders? Kind of, you, know, you take the above reproach one. That kind of covers a lot of them, like you know the temperance and the being peaceable and all of those. But there's one very distinct one that is not applied to deacons. You see what it is, Carol? Able to teach. So able to teach and having believing children are not applied to deacons. They are to elders. Why? Because they're not teaching. It's not their role. All right? So the teaching role is important for elders. So if, and th- this was the whole context of having children who believe, if, you, if an elder has children who believe, there's some evidence that he doesn't perform his role as a teacher well. Okay? Because his children don't believe. Now, now Calvinist, and right. we've talked about that all before. So I don't want to go hash through that again. But with elders, teaching, sharing the gospel correctly, teaching from the word correctly, that's a qualification. It is not for deacons. They don't have to be able to teach. So it makes sense to me that those aren't included. Okay. Yeah, Dorothy. That's a fantastic question. Do, do the, only, the only people that we would allow to teach are elders? Um, right now, there's some people teaching over in that building that are not elders. Oh, well, those are kids, right? They don't count? Is it? No, they do, they do count. They're very they're important. That teaching that's happening over there is very important. We would, when we have had people here preach for weeks on end that are not elders of this church. Right? Brian was not an elder of this church. Sure, he's an elder. He wasn't an elder of this church, and he did preach. We've had other men do that. 
So that's fine. The Bible doesn't say that only elders are allowed to teach in the church. The Bible doesn't say that deacons can't teach. If you have somebody that can teach, they can't be a deacon. It doesn't say that. It says that deacons, a qualification for deacon does not include the teaching ability, but if they have it, they can teach. Yeah, Stephen. Is he a fantastic teacher? Hey, you read Stephen's message. It got him killed. I mean, that's like the, the that's how you know you're a great Bible teacher, a great gospel teacher when you get killed. Right? That is best ever. Give me really bad. You know that depending on who kills you. <laughs> Who are young men? Oh, um, that's yeah. We actually talk about that. Uh, it's when, and it, maybe there's some sort of cultural definition for it. But when do, do they become men? Um, these guys right here. Um, I wouldn't have, and this goes with what we're going to talk about next week. I wouldn't have a woman teach these guys because I would consider them to be men. At least two of them. <laughs> there is an age. <laughs> they're like, what, was it me? I think it was. Uh, but yeah, what is it? And it depends on the kid. I mean, there, I've had I've had seventeen-year-old boys that I wouldn't consider to be men, you know, and I've had twelve-year-old boys that I would consider to be men. So it that's a hard one, and it's probably different. In different cultures and different places. Okay. Sir? Uh, in, the, in the issue of divorce, uh, what if a man divorces and never remarries? Uh, Are you going to make me do that again? <laughs> I, I mean, I, I've heard the whole argument about the person that remarries, and that, that's that tied in with a whole bunch of uh, verses that have to do with. Uh, Adultery, uh, remarrying, uh, things like that. What about the guy that never did? As far as qualifications go, I would say if that man is beyond reproach in his marital and sexual life, he is a a husband of one wife, he's a one-woman man, uh, we would have a a conversation to have. We'd have to know what caused the divorce. Did he in fact manage his own household well? Um, it, it depends on the qualifications. Again, I'm at the point where I can't specifically say one divorce automatically disqualifies you forever. I, I, I just I think that's going beyond what's written. But it's sure a it's sure a big obstacle. It's a high hurdle. I think there's so many different situations when it comes to kids not being saved, um, living in the house. Does a does a teenager that uh, goes and lives a wild life, uh, it graduates from high school, just lives for himself, uh, does that disqualify you? I mean, those things happen. Yeah. Uh, these things call for wisdom. It, yeah. you, you know, it's why you, you don't codify them because you know, the, the situation is very different. You have, to, you have to look at the situation and say, look, is this a kid that he went out and he was caught in a snare of sin and then now you know, he's repented of it and come back? Does that imply that he's not a believer and that his dad's disqualified as an elder? Well, no. Is this a pattern where, you know, this is his 14th felony arrest? Uh, there's a difference. That's for next time. That's a, good, that's a good one. That's for next time. Okay, let's continue on this passage. Those are the qualifications for deacons. Um, I think I did them all. Verse 15, this is, the, this is the good part for deacons, and we have a few deacons here today. Those who have served, did you know this was in there, by the way, deacons? For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. There's a reward for deaconing, serving well as a deacon. Uh, first of all, before you get too excited about it, you deacons, there's that word kalos again. Remember that word? Uh, here, it, for those who have served well, for those who have served chaos, that is that idea of it's intrinsically excellent. It's also excellent from looking at it. Right? You can look at it and say that is excellent, that is exemplary. So that's your, your service is that good. That people look at it and go, you know what? 
you are really a, a deacon of Christ in this church. People, people see that. That's the kind of service it's talking about. Right? That kind of service results in a high standing. I, I didn't look at every translation here for that. High standing. Oh, yeah, I did. I wrote it down. Excellent standing in NIV or a good degree in King James. I don't know. I, have, I don't have a new King James, so I don't know what that says. Something like that. New King. A good standing. It actually means a step up. It actually is referring to an elevated step, like a pedestal. You obtain a higher standing. Uh-oh. Now, does that, when I first read that struck me as weird. Especially with the deacons I know. If I say, hey, if you serve well, you're going to get a high standing. They're like, well, right? That's not what they're looking for. This is, a, this is, this is the Christian paradox of leadership right here. Apparent paradox. Those who lead serve. And the better you serve, the more elevated you are in the kingdom. The more humble your service, the higher your standing. Okay? I'll give you an example. This is one, and it's nobody in here, so I can use it. We, uh, at another place I was, there was a guy that had uh, a, a medical condition, a mental medical condition. And he was having problems, and so some people were over there. And I would go over and take the night shift, which basically mean I slept on the couch, and he, just to make sure everything was okay in the house. Well, I got there for the night shift, and the day shift guy was there, who was one of the deacons of our church, and he was cleaning up the bathroom. We'll go into the details. But he was cleaning it, he was cheerfully cleaning up the bathroom. So what do you do? And he says, well, he's having a hard time with, you know, using the bathroom, and so they're kind of a mess now. And he's just cheerfully cleaning that up. High standing. That's a high standing. He's doing that for a brother in the church. He's not saying, oh man, we really need to call somebody. <laughs> right? Or you get, you get a long handle mop from the church, bring it over. Or shop back. He's, not, he's just getting that, cleaning it up. Right? He doesn't, you know, the, the family's in turmoil. Let's not even talk about this. Let's get this done, right? That's, that's a deacon right there. That's serving, okay? That is servant leadership. And you see why? You have to be sensitive. You can't be double-tongued. be all of those things, right? A high standing, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I don't. Same. Yeah. Same. Yeah. I, I definitely. There's a rewards for service. Okay. <laughs> no, no. The, again, the Lord doesn't care about titles. Right. But if you serve well as a servant in the church, right? You. This is your standing, and some who do that, are going to be recognized as deacons. Okay, there's more to this, and this again I think applies to everybody very clearly. Those who have served well as deacons obtain a obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith is in Christ Jesus. Great confidence in the faith. More confident in your faith. A stronger faith. That's a pretty great reward, isn't it? What strengthens our faith? There's two things clearly taught in Scripture that strengthen our faith. Trials and service. I mean, ultimately, the Lord is the one that gives us faith in the first place and strength. But it's when we go through tough things, generally, that our faith is strengthened. That's what causes us to pray in new ways and in, in, you know, more vigorously. Prayer and service. If you feel like you're weak in your faith, you want to grow your faith, suffer for the Lord in some way. Right? Share the gospel with unsaved people. 
Yeah, you'll suffer for the Lord. You might even get killed if you do a really good job of it. And work. Work to the point of exhaustion for Christ. And your faith will be stronger. That's what strengthens your faith. Okay? Those things. Now, just a couple of quick questions about deacons. And I'll be quick about this because of the time. Uh, so, skip that one. Terms of office. Should deacons have terms of office where they're elected to office for two years and then we elect a new set of uh, term limits? <laughs> yeah, does the Bible talk about term limits for deacons, Rob? Yeah. It's what we've picked up from our own political system where we have a board of elders that serve their term and none of that is in Scripture. You either are a deacon or you're not. If you're qualified and you serve in the function of a deacon, you are one. Whether or not you've been, your term is up or not, that's meaningless. It's not anywhere in Scripture. You are who you are. It's like you're only going to be Lanny for two years and then you're going to be somebody else. Which that might not be bad. <laughs> no, you're Lanny. You're always going to be Lanny. And you're a deacon. You're going to be a deacon unless you become disqualified. Can you step down from that position voluntarily? Like, you not be a deacon? No. <laughs> I guess this is the same idea with Elder. I don't know. I, I really, I, of course you can. You, know, you have the freedom to do that. But, yeah, but... Uh, and, you know, if you become disqualified or if you just don't desire that work anymore, I guess it would be that same discussion. Right. Okay. So, one last question. Who are your deacons? <laughs> you know who your deacons are? You know a couple of them? Uh, there's a, yeah, there's a few of them in here right now. Do you know the ones that are in here right now? I count four of them. Vince isn't here. <laughs> the ones that are sitting up a little higher. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they're having a high standing. I'm not going to tell you. You should you know, know who your deacons are. They are here as ministers of mercy for your good. Right? They are here to fulfill the needs of the church, the practical needs of the church. And I hear them be filled by them. Um, okay, let's pray, and then we'll do something different. Father, we're again just thankful for your word, and uh, pray, Lord, that we'd be really careful how we handle it, um, understanding the things that are uh, that are absolutely essential and clear in your word, and the things that aren't, and that you've left for us to have some judgment about uh, through the Holy Spirit, through the principles of the rest of Scripture. Lord, pray for our service today, that every part of it would be uh, just perfect in your sight, and that it glorifies you. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.